Hello and welcome to this edition of Wineskins. I'm Father Jim Corda. Wineskins is a program that features reflections on the lives of the saints and the sacred scriptures, along with a variety of issues and topics, all from a Catholic perspective. Wineskins is brought to you through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our program today, I will talk about the Vatican II document on Revelation. We will also hear more information on the Chair of Peter. And today, as the Church celebrates a seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time, we will get a deeper insight into those particular Sunday readings. That and more on Wineskins. Catholic Charities is an important part of the life of the Church and her members. To share with us an important issue is R.J. Mangan. Here are a couple of tips from Pope Francis for a better kind of politics. In Fratelli Tutti, Pope Francis calls for a better kind of politics, one truly at the service of the common good. Essential to a better kind of politics is the ability to foster a social love among people through dialogue across perspectives, inspiring new ways of approaching the problems of today's world, of profoundly renewing structures, social organizations, and legal systems from within. What is a better kind of politics? It means working across differences to listen to one another and connect around shared values, resulting in creative solutions for the common good. Here are a couple of musts from Pope Francis that are essential for a better kind of politics in both our church and society. First and foremost, we are a human family. We must recover the sense of belonging to a single human family. After all, we are all in the same boat, as Pope Francis would say. This is in stark contrast to the tendency which has become commonplace to disengage from difficult conversations and see only our own interests and perspectives. Pope Francis challenges us. Isolation and withdrawal into one's own interests are never the way to restore hope and bring about renewal. Instead of the inclination to be concerned only with myself, my group, my own petty interests, we have to commit to overcoming every individualistic mindset and instead seek the good of all people, including those we may see as different from us. Secondly, we must commit to approaching others with love, even those with whom we disagree are children of God. Sadly, such an approach has become countercultural. We have become used to efforts aimed more to discredit and insult impotence from the outset than to open a respectful dialogue aimed at achieving agreement on a deeper level. This is a situation in which we must be prophetic, modeling by example a respectful approach that honors others as made in God's image. This involves stepping outside ourselves, listening with empathy, and seeking to truly understand another person's experience. And lastly, we must identify common values based on truth. Social love, Pope Francis says, has to be accompanied by a commitment to the truth, informed by both faith and reason. An essential starting place for dialogue is to identify common values rooted in truth and justice such as the dignity of the human person or a commitment to fundamental human rights and integral human development. Identifying these common convictions can unite us despite our differences and lead to creative thinking and new solutions. And so you might wonder how you can get started, and Pope Francis would request that you take the pledge to committing to charity, clarity, and creativity in your community at civilizeit.org to share your commitment on social media using hashtag civilizeit or invite your friends and family to do the same by sharing prayers and resources to help build a better kind of politics. For Wineskins, I am 
R.J. Mangan. The Feast of the Chair of Peter is celebrated on February 22nd. To tell us more is Marianne Yeager. She is from St. Christine Church in Youngstown. This feast is found in the oldest Roman calendar of 394. Assigned to February 22nd, the day on which the Romans commemorated the deceased. At one time, there were two feasts of the Chair of St. Peter, one on January 18th, celebrated in France in the 8th century, and one on February 22nd, to commemorate the Chair of St. Peter at Antioch, for he had been there before going to Rome. The most ancient date for the celebration of this feast in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome is in the middle of the 5th century, and it was preceded by a night vigil over which the Pope presided. Soon thereafter, the cult spread throughout Europe. Then, for some inexplicable reason, there was silence in the 7th and 8th centuries. Finally, it was again revived in the 11th and 12th centuries. The texts for the Mass and the Liturgy of the Hours serve as an excellent catechesis in the role of the Apostle Peter at a time when there are ecumenical discussions concerning the mission of Peter and his successors. The opening prayer portrays a central characteristic of St. Peter. You have built your church on the rock of St. Peter's confession of faith. Peter is thus the rock of the community of Christ, as is stated in the communion antiphon. You are Peter, the rock on which I will build my church. Because of Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The jaws of death will not prevail against the church. It is by the power of God, and not by his personal strength, much less because he had experienced the weakness of a believer, that Peter is constituted the sure point of reference for our apostolic faith and serves as a motive for fidelity to the Word of God. In the numerous texts referring to St. Peter in the Liturgy of the Hours, we find references to Christ's promise that Peter would have primacy. Another theme for catechesis is found in the prayer over the gifts. With Peter as our shepherd, keep us true to the faith he taught and bring us to your eternal kingdom. The certitude of the apostolic faith is linked to his integrity and precisely because he is the shepherd of the people of God. In the prayer after communion, it is interesting to note the mention of the Eucharist which is the sacrament of unity and peace. The liturgy thus links Peter, the visible sign of unity in the church, with the effects of the Eucharistic sacrifice. Ultimately, it is Christ, acting through this supreme sacrament, who guarantees the ministry of visible unity in the faith. But St. Leo the Great says in the Office of Readings, it is not without reason that the authority bestowed on all the apostles is entrusted to one. For Peter received it separately in trust because he is the prototype set before all the rulers of the church. For Wineskins, I'm Marianne Yeager.
Welcome to our segment called Year of Faith, celebrating the 16 documents of the Second Vatican Council. I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. And the document we will discuss today is the Dogmatic Constitution on Divine Revelation. This, of course, is a powerful document and important in the life of the Church. There was a time when many lay Catholics almost looked upon the Bible as a Protestant book rather than as the sacred scripture that is at the heart of all Christianity, including Catholicism. And so this document affirmed the importance of the scriptures and the importance of using all scholarly means to get at the heart of divine revelation so that we could better present it to the people of God. Of course, uh, the document itself is called in Latin, De Verbum, mm -hmm. uh, Word of God. How important is that for us to understand that the scriptures, the book that we read and listen to at Mass on Sundays, is God speaking to his people? It's the Word of God. And how do we take that word? And what is the document telling us how we take that word and live it in our daily life. Many times people will say, you know, Father, I pray all the time, I ask God questions, but I don't get any answers. Well, God is quite filled with answers, and they're contained in the Bible. So in asking God's questions, you can look to where the answers began in the sacred scripture, in the two covenants, the Hebrew and the New Testament. And in doing that, you'll be amazed at the amount of wisdom you'll gain from the sacred word of God. And what exactly was the document telling us about Revelation? What was divine about it? And what was God, the divine, revealing to us? Well, the classic phrase is that the Bible is the word of God in the words of mankind. God chose certain prophets certain evangelists, certain inspired writers to put down what the will of God was at a given time in history, and at the same time, what the will of God is in eternity for all times. And it takes a great deal of effort to understand the scriptures and a great deal of humility to understand them within the context of the living, believing community, the church. How did that really change with this document in Catholics' understanding of the Bible, in use of the Bible? The most dramatic place was in the liturgy where, under our three-year cycle, we have Old Testament readings, the Psalms, as well as the New Testament readings. So they were exposed to the Bible in a much broader sense in the liturgy. Then every parish would have various Bible classes, adult education classes, to help people begin to grapple with the Catholic approach to Scripture. And what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, one person jokingly said, well, the chicken, because God would never lay an egg. <laughs> but now in this context, the believing community came first. And then came the written word of God, both in the time of Moses, in the Hebrew scriptures, and in the New Testament. First, there would be a believing community, and out of that believing community arose the written word of God. And then the believing community would decide what books were sacred, 
what books were not. And that was so important, and it's reflected in this document. And the church cherishes the scripture and wants us all to know the scriptures because to know scriptures is to know Christ. I think one of the, um, at least when I was a younger priest years ago, we had the issue of fundamentalism and interpretation of the scriptures in a fundamental way. What was this document telling us about the inerrancy about that? And also, what did it do to help better equip us in the church to kind of like deal with fundamentalism? Everything in the Bible is true, but not all truth is in the Bible. And so we shouldn't use it as a scientific textbook or as a history textbook in certain periods. We have to see the Bible as a library of books that contain poetry, that contain history, that contain moral and spiritual teachings, and understand when we read any passage what that passage is all about in its historical context. The fundamentalists that use scripture as the only source of divine revelation have found themselves in the position of splintering Christianity into 20, 30,000 sects, each claiming to be based on scripture alone. Scripture can only be interpreted by the church as a whole under the leadership of the pope and bishops if we're going to make any real sense of it. And of course, uh, for us as Catholics, we're based also not only on Scripture, but on tradition. And how important is tradition in the life of the church? Well, tradition is what brought about the Scriptures. It was the spoken word of God first. And out of that came, of course, the written word. And then the traditions that were very ancient, how did the first century Christians look at divine revelation? How did the second century believers look at revelation? And from that, we see how the church has always approached the sacred scriptures. And we have to study it within the context of its history, its language, its purpose. And then we could come up with what it means for us today. I know as a, as a seminarian, one of the fascinating things for me in my education was learning the scriptures. You know, growing up, we obviously had a Bible at home and periodically read that. And of course, in grade school, we were taught this and that, but we really never were taught the sacred scripture. And so it was a whole different experience for me. And I know um, in my uh, work with seminarians or, or those who are newly ordained, and I would ask them, what would be some of the the greatest experiences you had in preparation for the priesthood? And they always go back to my classes in sacred scripture. So there's this opening up, this kind of understanding of the Word of God and the role of the Word of God in our daily life. Pius XII in the 1940s wrote an encyclical, Divinia Afflanti Spiritu, in which he embrace the notion that we can use scientific approaches to understanding the Word of God, and that helped Catholic scholarship enormously. We pray that we will use those new means to unlock ancient truths to help us strengthen the contemporary believing community that hungers for the Word of God. And how important is it for not only Catholics, but all Christians, to actually have a Bible in their home. 
Well, that's the first step. But a Bible with good footnotes to guide us is really important. It keeps us on the right track. Just uh, a final thought, Father Jeff. Uh, St. Paul and 2 Timothy said, the word of God will not be chained, even though he was chained up. And it's true today, the word of God can't be chained. Let's know it, love it, and live it. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. For more pertinent information and to listen to Wineskins, visit www.doy.org, the website of the Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. The annual Diocesan Appeal, One in Hope, One in Mission, is the primary activity of raising funds to help the clients of Catholic Charities throughout the Diocese of Youngstown, as well as supporting the many ministries and activities of our Diocesan Church. This year's goal is $4 million. While that seems like a very vast amount, it is an attainable goal when everyone throughout our diocesan community recognizes the way in which God has blessed them and offers whatever resources possible, coming from all of our parishes across our six counties, to truly be a people of charity, a people of hope, a people of mission. I thank you for your gift to the annual appeal, and I hope that together we might all continue to be one in hope and one in mission, building up the life of the church and building up the presence of Christ for all in need. God bless you. Please join Catholic Charities by helping to support the Warm Hearts for Warm Homes campaign, formerly known as Keep the Kids Warm. The Warm Heart for Warm Homes campaign helps to provide direct utility assistance to families with children, working poor adults, and older adults on fixed incomes. Last year, Catholic Charities agencies impacted thousands of people through utility assistance efforts. Unfortunately, this year, the need for heat and utility assistance continues to rise. Catholic Charities is asking for your help to make Warm Hearts for Warm Homes a success by giving to your local parish online at www.ccdoy.org or by calling Catholic Charities at 330-744-8451. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today, because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. By the time we can walk, each of us yearns for the joy that comes from being able to do for ourselves. Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. Church World Service. Our song today is from the CD called Fill the Heavens. It is by the Daughters of St. Paul.
As we celebrate this seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time, we will hear more about the Sacred Scriptures by Father Ryan Furlong. He is pastor of St. Thomas the Apostle Church in Vienna. How are disciples of Jesus different from everyone else? What makes Christianity distinct from all the other religions? It is grace. Treating others not only as they deserve, but as God wishes them to be treated. Loving kindness and mercy. Only the cross of Christ can free us from the tyranny, the malice, the hatred, the revenge, and all the evil in the world. The love and the grace and the power to heal and to save from destruction. For this, Jesus suffered insult, abuse, injustice, and a death on the cross. However, the blood of Christ on the cross has cleansed us from sin and guilt. God has been merciful towards us through the offering of his Son, Jesus Christ. We, in turn, are called to be merciful towards our neighbor, even those who cause us grief and harm. It is the same grace that allows us to do this. For we cannot do any of this on our own, whether it be carry our cross, to deal with a sin or a struggle, to deal with a temptation or an addiction, to deal with those in our lives who are a burden to us. We can only love them with the help of Christ, through His grace, and being open to receive that grace every day, through prayer, perseverance, and through carrying our cross, we begin to see it is not us, but Christ dwelling in us. The more we recognize this, the freer and the more we are able to follow God's law and to love as he taught us. And only then, with the help of Christ, can we truly be free. For Wineskins, I'm Father Ryan Furlong. Where are you living your life? In the spirit of the first mile or the second? In the skimpy minimum of the compulsory? or in the abundant flow of the voluntary. If anyone presses you for service for one mile, go two miles. Wineskins is a production of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. It is brought to you by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. I'm your host, Father Jim Corda, wishing you a beautiful week. And remember that this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, the traditional start of the season of Lent. have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought uh, I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today, because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.